Well, this last week I received a text message from a close friend in Dallas, and his sister was found dead um, from a drug overdose. And this is somebody that we had been praying for for years, who has been on this struggle, on this this roller coaster of addiction, and has been in and out and disappeared over time. And, and so to receive that news of, of someone we have been praying for so much, to be, to be found dead in that state is, is a shocker. Um, I know many of us can tell stories of, of similar types of, of circumstances. Something hits you, you receive that email, you receive that phone call, you receive some notification, and something unexpected has hit you incredibly hard. And so now we have a, a husband with no wife, a, a daughter with no mother, because of a horrible circumstance. And it is, it is no surprise to any of us because we have been able to, we, we, we have these stories, it's no surprise that the world around us is broken, right? That's a reality that we are all too aware of. That there is brokenness around us, there's hurt around us, things do not go as planned, things don't go as we had hoped. And as we've been reading through the story over the last several weeks, we, we see this pattern over and over, that there are kings who do evil in the sight of the Lord, the people fall into idolatry, things are not all rosy and happy. Things are not going well, right? Chapter after chapter, we see that Israel is not following their Lord. They're not following the law. They're not following the commands. And there is brokenness. There is idolatry. There's hurt. And the prophets come in and give this message that, that God is placing judgment on them. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been in a pretty dark place looking at the prophets. And one of the things that is encouraging about Scripture is that God is in those dark places. Last week we talked about God being over it all and being in the middle of it all. That even in the midst of things not going well, in the midst of of trials, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of, of idolatry even, God is there, God is present. And Scripture can be particularly comforting in those times. That when we find ourselves in a place of brokenness, when we find ourselves in a place of hurt, we can turn to Scripture and it can be an instrument of encouragement. That we can read these stories and we we can read about a God who is over it all. A God who is in the middle of it all. And as his followers, as his people, we are called to be his instruments of comfort, his instruments of encouragement. We're in chapter 17 of the story, and if this is your first time here, we're going through Genesis to Revelation, taking out excerpts of Scripture and getting the full picture of God's story. And in chapter 17, we have a lot crammed in here, right? So how many of you read chapter 17? 
Some of these chapters are getting a little rough to read, right? The last couple weeks have been a challenge to get through. I agree. They're, they're jumping all over the place. There's a lot there. So, so chapter 17 covers parts of 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Lamentations, all in one chapter. And, and the thing is, is we've got these characters, Ezekiel, we've got Jeremiah, we've got Lamentations. How do they fit together? And so one of the things that has been helpful about going through the story is you get to see things in a little bit more of a chronological way, right? So we can see how these things fit together in a narrative. But one of the downfalls of the story is it cuts a lot of stuff out, right? As you've read through this, it's like this entire chapter is all there is for these prophets. And so we, we go through this story and we get to see the big picture, but there's a lot going on here and a lot that can jump around. Chapter 17 tells us the story of God's people being invaded by the Babylonians and deported away from their land. And so this is a major shift in the history of God's people. And it's helpful for us to be going through the story because we, we are piecing things together chronologically. And so we look at the Old Testament, it can be challenging to go through the, New, the Old Testament and, and see how these things fit together. But now we're looking at things chronologically and seeing how it fits. You know, Jeremiah is the longest book of the Bible as far as word count goes. And here we have Jeremiah crammed into chapter 17 and just a little bit added to the end of chapter 18. And Ezekiel is not a short book either. And so these are all crammed in here, lots going on. And so I want us to give, a, I want to give us just a quick overview of what's going on in this chapter. Last week we showed a short video clip at the beginning that kind of painted out what the chapter is about. I want us to see here this video clip as we get an idea of what chapter 17 is all about. Let's go and watch it. King Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, was only 12 years old when he became king. He was very different from his father, doing all sorts of evil things. He led the people to worship false gods and even built an altar to Baal inside the temple of God. Things got so bad that God brought the Assyrian army against Manasseh. They put a hook in his nose and led him away to the city of Babylon as a prisoner. In his suffering, Manasseh humbled himself and prayed to God. God was moved by his prayer and allowed Manasseh to be set free and return home. For a few years, things began to improve and the Israelites began to follow God again. They even discovered the book containing all of the laws of Moses, which had been lost for many years. The people learned once again what it was like to live in God's ways. But soon, things got much, much worse. The kings who ruled over Judah once again led the people away from God. Then one day, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, attacked the Israelites, nearly destroying the temple Solomon had built. He captured almost all of the Israelites, including the best warriors, workers, and artists, and sent them to Babylon. Only a few of the poorest Israelites were allowed to stay to take care of the fields. God sent two prophets, Jeremiah to those left in Jerusalem, and Ezekiel to those living in Babylon. Unfortunately, the news was bad. Because they had done so much evil, God allowed the city of Jerusalem, 
their home to be almost completely destroyed and the rest of the Israelites sent to Babylon. But the prophet Ezekiel told the Israelites living in Babylon that God would not forget about them, that God would one day rescue and restore them. God even gave Ezekiel a vision that he was standing in a valley full of bones. There was a rattling sound and the bones began to come together and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Finally, God had Ezekiel command the breath of life to enter the bodies and they came to life. God told Ezekiel the meaning of the vision. These bones are the whole house of Israel. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am God. All right, so if you haven't had a chance to read the chapter or had a hard time connecting all the dots, it gives just a very brief overview of what's going on in this chapter. We've got this cycle of kings who are obedient and kings who are not obedient. And we've got a king here who is not obedient, and there's a hook that's put in his nose, and he's hauled off to Babylon. And now the, the consequences are getting more and more severe. And so we've got these characters of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Ezekiel is the one who is deported with the people into Babylon. And so he is in Babylon, and he is among God's peoples there, and he's trying to minister to the people there and trying to communicate to the people there. But he is away. He has been taken away with everyone else, and he is in a foreign land. And so through Ezekiel, God explains to them why they're being disciplined for the history of sin. And he's giving them a hopeful picture of a future with God and what God has for them. And then we've got the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the ones that's left behind. He's still in Jerusalem, and he sees the, the destruction of Jerusalem, and he sees his family and friends hauled off to Babylon, but he's staying there. So Ezekiel is prophesying in Babylon. Jeremiah is prophesying in Jerusalem. And then the book of Lamentations is, is written by Jeremiah, and this is him talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, lamenting the destruction, lamenting what has happened to his great city, his nation, and his people. And so in this story, we see God using Babylon as a tool of discipline in the life of his people. And it's, it gets weird for us to kind of talk about these things, about God disciplining. And it is, it's a hard concept for us to get around because we, we like to think of God as one who loves unconditionally. And so we've got a, a parenting class that we started a couple weeks ago. We're going through shepherding a child's heart, and, and we've got a good crew of, of young parents that are in there trying to figure out what in the world it means to parent. And we know that, that parenting is something that, that you discipline if you love your kids, right? That, that you don't not discipline them because you love them. There's a place for discipline. There's a place for rules. There's a place for punishment. And so seeing God in this parent role may help us think a little bit about what he's doing with the nation here. And so as we, as we look through this chapter, there's a few observations that I want to talk about. First, first is this. Sometimes God recaptures our attention by allowing us to become a captive audience. He recaptures our attention by allowing us to become a captive audience. 
So here we have this nation who is not doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? Centuries of this cycle have been going on. And he has to get their attention. And he recaptures it, and they become a captive audience, quite literally. Have you ever made this threat to a kid? If you do that thing one more time, I'm going to fill in the blank. If you do it one more time, this is going to happen. And then they do it another time, right? And then we say, okay, well, one more time. And then they do it again one more time, really this time, one more time. And what's happening there? Is it that we're weak as parents? Is it that we've been manipulated by our children? Maybe yes to both of those. But we don't really want to punish our kids, right? I mean, some of us may get a kick out of it, but really, most of the time, we don't want to punish our kids, right? And so they do something wrong, and we have to steer them in the right direction, and we give this threat, and it's like, oh man, I have to follow through on that threat. I don't want to follow through on that threat, because we love our kids. And God loves his people. He has built this nation, and he loves them, and he says, if you do this one more time, there's going to be punishment. And then they do it, and it's like, if you do this one more time, there's going to be punishment. And God doesn't want to punish his people, but he gives them ample warning. And this cycle has happened enough that it's time for punishment. And in the end, they have to be disciplined. And so God does the same thing that we do with our kids. He, he tries for another alternative. And then he gets to a point where the discipline has to happen. And in this case, the Babylonians become the instrument of discipline. They're the ones that come in and provide the punishment. And so it's during their time in Babylon that they begin to see God again. They have this undivided attention to God now. The king is hauled off by a hook and he's hanging out there in Babylon and he realizes that he needs God and realizes his mistakes, and he cries out in humility for God. And so it's the same way as discipline with, a, with children. When you limit a child's freedom, when you remove the diversions, when you remove the distractions, now you can get their focus again. You can get their attention again. And so the nation that God has built has been doing wrong. And he brings in the Babylonians to get their attention. And in this time of captivity, they're allowed to refocus on what it is God has called them to. The second thing here is sometimes God will step back and allow us to experience living apart from him. He will take a step back and say, okay, you, you figure this out. Have you ever done anything like that with your kids? You know, they wanted to eat way too much chocolate, so you just kind of step back and let them have all the chocolate they wanted. See what the natural consequences of that might be. Last, um, <laughs> last week, Clara, I won't use Elena as an example because she's in here and she gets really upset if I use her as an illustration. But Clara's not in here, so she's fair game. So <laughs> she, she, and Laura's gone too. I need to take advantage of that. Um, <laughs> all right. 
So, so Clara gets, she's having a sleepover, and we go to Dunkin' Donuts and get this treat, and we have a, a thing of chocolate milk and donuts, and we go upstairs, and, and her and her friend are downstairs drinking this chocolate milk, and we come downstairs, and they have had a competition to see who can drink all of this milk faster, okay? And Dunkin' Donuts has these raspberry jugs of chocolate milk, um, and, and they're a little bit too big for a five-year-old. And so they had chugged this entire thing of chocolate milk. And now they don't feel so good, right? And so there, there are these great natural consequences that are built into parenting sometimes. And it, and it works out great for parents when those natural consequences actually play out. So, so we have a stomach ache, right? And so this is the natural consequence of stepping back and let them, let them make their own decisions, and so sometimes God will remove himself. He will, he will take a step back and allow things to play out to see how it works. After centuries and centuries of this cycling back into idolatry, God, in essence, says, okay, you want it this way? Let's see what it's like to be in a nation full of idolatry. Let's see what it's like to be in Babylon, where what you think you want is the norm, where the culture is what it is. I'm going to take a step back. Have it your way. I'm going to allow you to experience life. I'm going to allow you to experience idolatry. I'm going to allow you to experience that nation that's built on a different foundation than what we've been building on. And so it isn't to beat them down. It is to get them back home. He uses this to draw them back to him. A third thing is when, when God allows us to be torn down, it's so that he may be revealed and we might be transformed. So we get torn down, and it's not just to beat us down. It's not just to, to punish us. It is to reveal the glory of God. It is to reveal him and bring about transformation. I had a friend who um, was was caught in multiple affairs, and his online history was was revealed, and his wife found this, and needless to say, it caused a major crisis in their marriage, tore them down to the very bottom. His sin had been exposed. His sin had brought conflict. His sin had brought distrust. And in this relationship, they are left with what's next. And, and in this process, we were able to see miracles happen, where he would humble himself and do whatever was necessary to rebuild trust, do whatever was necessary to be the father that he needed to be, the husband that he needed to be. And, and there was this process where he was rebuilding that trust and became an entirely new person. He was transformed by that experience. He was torn down to the very bottom, and the glory of God was revealed through that because there is no earthly reason why the two of them should still be married. But God was glorified through that process of rebuilding, and he was transformed in that process. 
And so there are times that we are forced to face our sin, we're forced to face our mistakes, and we are torn down to the very bottom, and we can choose to stay there. We can choose to stay in that pit, or we can choose to do something about it. We can get on our knees, we can humble ourselves in front of the Lord, and we can be transformed through that process. And so we see the king here who is hauled off by the nose in the most humiliating way, humbling himself and turning himself back to God. And ultimately, it is God who is revealed in that. It is God who is glorified in that. Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel have stretches in their books where, they, where God makes clear his ultimate intentions. His ultimate intentions are not just to, to be the killjoy. His ultimate intentions are not just to, to punish and just to see how miserable he can make life for them. His intentions are different. God says through the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. This is page 245 of the story. Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among nations, the name that you profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes." And so notice what God is saying here. He is saying it is for the sake of his name, it is for the sake of his reputation that he's doing these things. Because there is this nation that has his name attached to it that is not behaving in a way that reflects who he is. They are not reflecting his values. They are not reflecting his love. They are not reflecting who he is. And so it is for the sake of his name and the sake of his reputation that he must do these things. Remember God's promise to Abraham. He promised to Abraham that he would build a nation through him that would be a blessing to other nations. And then he brought the, Egypt, he brought the people out of bondage from the Egyptians to reveal his wisdom and goodness. And he gave the law to reveal that a quality of life could be had under his rule, under his kingship. And so this was the foundation that it was built on, and they had gotten so far removed from this foundation that it was time to do something. Because God's reputation was at hand. He had formed a nation to reveal himself, and now that nation is doing anything but revealing the true identity of God. And they're hurting the reputation of God. Their idolatry had led to injustice of all kinds and immorality of all kinds. And God says, I'm not going to let you run around with my name attached to you and behave in this way. You're representing me. And so God is acting for his glory. Continuing to read there in Ezekiel, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. 
See, God is bringing about transformation now. It's not just about the punishment. It's about making something new. I will give you a new heart and put new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. There's hope. There's a hope for a renewed relationship that that no matter how bad it's been damaged, no matter what has been done, there's hope that it can be renewed. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns, and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden. Remember the Garden of Eden? It means delight. Not only are you going to go back, but it's going to go back to a delightful place, a perfect place, a place like Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I am the Lord, that that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and replanted. I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. And so God will be glorified through this transformation. The people have been torn down, but there's hope for rebuilding. There's hope for renewal. There's hope for restoration. And in that restoration, in that transformation, God is revealed. And so a couple things to notice here is that the Lord is revealed not just through his discipline of his people, but the restoration of his people. So God is revealed by by sending them off. The power of God is now revealed, but in this transformation, God is revealed. God says that in the end, your transformation will be of such that those watching will know that I am the Lord because your life has changed so much, because there has been such a great change in you and who you are. God is revealed in that. And those are amazing stories. Those are amazing stories to see someone who who is in such a low place, who is so broken, so lost, to be transformed. There is no way for that to happen other than God. And those are incredible stories. He says that the transformation will be such that it will be likened to Eden. It's going to be a place of delight. And so God is essentially saying, I'm going to take you from this place of desolation and I'm going to restore you to a place of delight, restore you to a place of perfection. And so any discipline a parent hands out to their child and is not for the purpose of restoration and fruitfulness, that is not discipline. That's really abuse. That when discipline is given out to a child, that discipline is for the purpose of restoration and transformation. It's trying to improve things. It's not just to get a kick out of it. Or worse, to be abusive. And so God is not abusive. When he disciplines, it is not abuse. Any discipline that God brings is for the purpose of restoration, for the purpose of transformation. And he brings that to us. Hebrews 12:11 says, "God disciplines us for our own good, that we may share in His holiness." 
No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Discipline may seem like it is painful, and it is painful in the moment. Going off and being deported to Babylon, not a fun experience. But it brings transformation, it brings change, it brings growth. And that's why God brings in his discipline. And so I I love the way that, that Ezekiel ends. He ends with this incredible vision from the Lord. This image of going into a dry valley, and this this valley is full of dry bones. And God says to prophesy to these bones, and the bones form back together, and tendons grow, and skin grows over these bones, and, and these bones become human again. But there is no life in them yet. And so, so God says to prophesy again. And, and he prophesies to breathe life into these bodies. And, and life is blown into them. God blows life into these dead bodies. And they rise up and a great army is formed. And so for us as followers of Jesus, we know the rest of the story. We know how all of this ends, and we know that we are the ones with the dry bones. We are the ones with no life. We are the ones full of death and decay until God comes along, and through his son Jesus, he breathes new life into us. And so he breathes it into us. And the Spirit resides in us. The Spirit of God is in us and brings life to us. And we rise up out of this dry and desolate desert. We rise up as an army for Him. And we rise up not just for our own good or our own comfort or our own purposes. We rise up to be an army for God. We we rise up to be those instruments of blessing, those instruments of change, those instruments of transformation to the world around us. And so we are not simply saved just for our own good. We are saved for that of others. And the transformation that can be seen in us is something that communicates to the people around us. And so think about your coworkers. Think about your friends at school. When, when you step in and do something differently, when you live life differently, when you live the way God is wanting you to live, That is bringing glory to the name of the Lord. It is drawing people to him. It is drawing attention to him. And so the lives that we are called to live are lives that are filled with life, the breath of life, all for the glory of God. Let's be standing together. It is very clear That God wants a people who make his name known and make his reputation known. He wants us to be people who are good representatives of his. And when we're not those good representatives, he wants us to humbly repent of that and step back in line and do what he's called us to do. And so as followers of his, we, this is not just a, a one-time, okay, I'm following Jesus. Following Jesus is a daily process. Every day, making the decision, am I going to represent the king of the universe today? 
Or am I going to choose to represent myself? Am I going to be one that, that brings glory to God because of the transformation that is happening in me? Am I going to be one that brings glory to God because of his life being evident in mine? And that is what we're called to each day as we walk this journey out together as disciples of Jesus. And we have, we have Jesus who comes in and washes away all those mistakes. He brings those dry bones together. He puts flesh back on it. He breathes life into it. Not because of our efforts, not because of how good we are, not because of how hard we work, but because of his work. It is his breath in us, not our own breath. And so we're going to spend some time in prayer. It's a time where we'll have shepherds down front or in the back. You can pray with one another. You can come forward and pray with, with one of the shepherds. But, but this is a time to pray about um, what God is saying to you. What is he saying to you in this moment? What is, what is uh, that breath saying in you right now, this conviction. So what is God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? Partner with somebody in prayer and, and talk through what God is saying to you today. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these great prophets who, who have such powerful messages for us. God, I pray that the world will see you, that you will be glorified, that you will be evidence in the lives that we live, as you fill us with your breath, God, allow us to use that breath to magnify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.